Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast Podcast. Thanks for joining us for our study through the book of 2 Corinthians. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. In it, Paul gets very personal about his own shortcomings, and he comforts the believers in Corinth. But he also teaches us that by embracing our own weakness, we are able to experience God's strength. Grab your Bibles, and let's jump in. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 7. Paul continues on and says, you are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is, is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be put to shame, for I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves, But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you. For we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ, not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in others, other men's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere enlarged even more by you, so as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you, and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord, for it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he who whom the Lord commends. You may be seated. As we've been studying the book of, or the letters of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, what we see is that this is a church that's been through a lot. It's overcome a lot of sin issues. Many in the church have repented. Many in the church are seeking now to live fully for Jesus. However, Just like in any church, there are other voices that begin to speak up. And these voices do not reflect the heart of God, nor do they submit to the ways of Jesus. And what we find out is that there is a group of people inside the church of Corinth claiming to be super apostles. And they have been trying to sway the hearts and the minds of the Corinthians away from the Lord and placing them on other things. And because of these loud voices, many in the church have started to believe lies about Paul. They started to question and even doubt his apostolic authority. Why? Because as we saw last week, there's a battlefield in our mind. And for the Corinthians, their thinking, their thought life got all screwed up, and they started believing lies that they were 
told, like, look at Paul. He's not a real apostle. He suffered too much, right? Paul's not impressive. Like, he's not an entertaining speaker. He is not a real leader. And, and that's what these super apostles are doing. This is the lies that they're spreading, and they're coming in, and they're questioning Paul's authority. But they're not just leaving it there. They're starting to spin it around and say, well, look at us. Look at our credentials. Look at how impressive and amazing that we are. Look how talented we are. But we said last week, when we come to these final few chapters of this letter, Paul changes his tone and starts to deal with these uh, issues quite aggressively. The reality is, even though um, they were back on track, the false apostles, these super apostles, were still there in the church making waves, and Paul wanted to exhort and encourage the believers in Corinth to, hey, keep your thinking straight. And that's why, as we looked at last week, he said this, and we are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Because as we're, the, the title of the message, if you go back to the title slide, uh, Nick, the title of the message is Assessing the Minister and the Ministry. And I want to ask you this question, how do you judge or assess a minister? How do you assess a ministry? You know, if you look at a, a, a religious organization or a church and it's really large, does that mean it's healthy? If a church is small and maybe a church doesn't get beyond 30 or 40 people, does that mean that there's something wrong or broken in the church? If a church has many programs and ministries and you're just like, oh my gosh, you go on their website and and there's just a list of ministries, maybe there's 20 or 30 and, and they're really busy and doing a lot of events, and does that equate to spiritual success? And if a church takes on a simpler model and focuses on less things, does that mean that it's inferior to the busy church? You know, the Lord has been taking me through a season of learning all of this personally. And he's teaching me, I think, how to rightly evaluate myself and the ministry here at Calvary. And let me tell you, these have been good lessons, but they've been really hard lessons for me to learn. And this will probably be one of my most personal messages that I've ever shared for the church today. And what Paul is going to show us in our text is a way, a right way to measure ministries and ministers by God's standards. That's what we want, right? It's to measure things by God's standards. So look at with me, verse 7, Paul says, you are looking at things as they are outwardly. Again, when we come to this place of trying to accurately and correctly assess things, what standards are we assessing things by? And Paul is saying here that the Corinthians were assessing things based on how things were looking on the outside. We might call this worldly thinking, that is looking and measuring with all of the wrong measurements and standards. And we see this throughout the Bible, even stories of godly men assessing people, assessing situations according to the standards of this world. 
And just two quick analogies or, or examples of this in the Old Testament, and many of you know these ones, is Samuel. Samuel's a prime example. He's a prophet of God, right? He's a prophet to the nation of Israel. He's appointed to anoint the new king of Israel, and he goes to the house of Jesse. Eliab walks in, right? He's the oldest. He's the tallest, maybe the most handsome, right? And Samuel just immediately, he assesses things on the outside, and he says, this is it. This is the king, the next king. And what does the Lord say? And he does this not just once or twice. He goes through all the sons of Jesse, and God says, no, Samuel. No, Samuel. Why? Because he says, man looks at the outward, but I look at the heart. There's a different measurement. I think of the story, I think it's in Judges 7, if I'm 6 or 7, of Gideon. You guys know the story of Gideon? Gideon's getting ready to go into battle against Midian. And, uh, and the Lord is, is telling Gideon, hey, I want you to get rid of most of your army. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, you don't get less army, right? You don't go, 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 go shrink your, your size of your army. You get more before the battle. And Gideon kind of goes back and forth on this. He wrestles around with the Lord, and, and he finally believes, okay, God, you're with me. And, <clears throat> and so he shrinks his army. He had 32,000 men. And the Lord tells Gideon, hey, Gideon, if you go to battle with 32,000, you're going to get the glory for this, right? And so he whittled it down to 10,000. And the Lord says, Gideon, that's still too many. <laughs> Can you imagine? You're like, oh, God, I'm trying to trust you, right? He gets it whittled down to 300 men. From 32,000 to 300, but God brings about the victory. Why? Because God views and God assesses things different than we do in our human wisdom. Amen? I love Isaiah 55. I come back to this all of the time when the Lord says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And this was the root problem in Corinth. They've allowed these super apostles, these false teachers, to influence them in how they thought and how they assessed Pastor Paul and even his ministry. And instead of assessing things on how God would assess them, they took a chapter out of the culture's playbook. You see, our culture looks at authority, when we, when we talk about authority, and thinks of power, right, and position, control, influence, self-confidence, right? And if you're, you're, you're in the, you know, maybe you're on a board of directors, you're looking for a new CEO for your company, that's what you're looking for according to the standards of our culture. And these super apostles, they like, they fit that bill. They boasted of their superiority. They had great credentials. They had letters of recommendation. They were self-confident. They were externally impressive. They looked the part. They smelled the part. The part was theirs, right? On the outside, these super apostles looked amazing. They looked like leaders who are worthy of following. But again, church, I want you to hear this. God has his own standards, and he assesses leaders very differently. God's standards for a great leader is based on one who would love unconditionally. 
one who is gracious, one who is slow to speak and quick to listen, one who is filled with compassion and mercy, one who is dependent on the Spirit of God. You know, Jesus would say it this way, in the kingdom of God, the greatest become the least. I grew up in the 90s, early 90s. And in the 90s, we didn't have, well, one, we, my parents didn't pay for cable. We didn't have Disney. We didn't have Nickelodeon. And um, Netflix wasn't a thing. But we had VHS. You guys remember VHS? The 9 o'clock remembers VHS. Okay. So um, <clears throat> we had, um, I don't know, maybe you guys know this or not. We had a VHS of Salty. You guys, did you guys ever hear Salty, the singing songbook, right? And one of the most popular, to me at least, I don't know if it's one of the most hit, biggest hits of Salty's career, uh, taken right out of scripture. But this one, Mary and I actually sing it quite a bit and we quote it quite a bit still to this day. But it goes like, I'm not going to sing it for you. So <laughs> a lot of you are like, no, don't. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. You see, in our world, to be great means you have servants, right? The more powerful you are, the more authority you have, the more influence you have over others. A CEO might have a couple secretaries, a couple personal assistants to help them do menial tasks, but someone great in the kingdom of God takes the position of a servant. They don't demand a title or reward or even recognition. And because Paul understood this, because Paul was humble and he was a gentle servant who wasn't flashing around his resume, he wasn't boasting in his resume, and you can read more about that in the book of Philippians, and because that's what these super apostles were doing, the church began to question Paul's authority over them. Look at the second part of verse 7. He says, if anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. Paul's essentially saying that if you're going to judge me or if you're going to judge any other teacher who comes along claiming to belong to Christ to lead you, you better make sure that you're using the right standards to judge with, right? You need to make sure that you're using God's measurements and not the world's measurements for how you measure greatness. Because again, God's standard of leadership is completely different. Verse 8, he says, For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be put to shame. Now, I'm sure that Paul, as he's writing this letter, as he's kind of defending himself, he's not super stoked about this, right? He's like, he's probably disappointed. He's um, not excited that he's doing this, has to defend himself again. But I want you to catch what he's doing here. It's very important. I want us to zoom in on the middle part of that verse. When he talks about authority, what does he say? He says, authority, which the Lord gave, why? For the building for building you up and not for destroying you. Man, there's so much more, so much there in that verse. In essence, Paul's reminding the Corinthians that yes, Corinth, I do have authority. And guess what? That authority that I have, that authority that I write in, that authority that I come to you in was not given to me by me. It wasn't even given to me by you. It was given to me by the Lord. And the Lord didn't give me this authority to be all cocky and confident and self-assured. 
He didn't call me to here to write best-selling books, right? He didn't call me to build big mega churches. He didn't call me to start podcasts and write blogs and have a social media presence and a, have a big following. He didn't call me to this ministry so I could impress you, Corinth, so that I could have a power and position and, and, and just stroke my ego. No, Paul says, the Lord gave me this authority to serve you to serve you, to, to build you up in the love and the grace of Jesus, to lead people to Christ so that his name would be glorified and not my name. And church, this is the true calling of a servant of God, someone who lays down their life for the sake of another, someone who sacrifices their comfort and their desires for the kingdom of heaven. And this is how we assess people who are in spiritual authority. Are they reflecting Jesus? Are they reflecting Jesus? Are they rightly representing Jesus? Paul, Paul would write this in chapter 8 about Jesus. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that through or by his poverty, you might become rich. You see the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus said this about himself in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the heart of Christ. And the sad reality about many false teachers or modern-day super apostles is that they spend way too much time trying to impress people with themselves. They spend too much time trying to talk about their own ability to do amazing things. They build ministries for themselves, and instead of building up the kingdom of God for the people of God, right, building them up, no, they're building up their own little kingdoms. And we see this all around us, and it's very sad to see in the American church. There's popular podcasts dedicated to megachurches where, where this is, is the case. There's a popular Hulu documentary that exposes the celebrity pastor culture of a church in New York City. And you think about that term, celebrity pastor. Think about it. Have you guys ever heard that term? Talk about a title church that flies in the face of everything that Jesus was about. And we cannot bury our heads in the sand. This is happening, especially in the church in America. This is a temptation all around us, and it's not necessarily pastors that just do this to themselves. It's people, men and women, you and me, that elevate and put these men on pedestals. We allow this to happen. But this isn't just a temptation for those out there. To be honest, this is a temptation that can even affect me. And I want you to know that I don't take my calling and the, this authority that God's given me lightly. I, I know and I believe in my heart that God has called me to lead and pastor this church. I'm 100% confident in that. But I also know, church, that I can get in my own way. And any time there's a, there's a move of God, and we've seen an amazing move of God in our church, the temptation for pastors is to always grab the glory. And I know, and I, just to, let's 
I, I, I know, and I'm not unaware that God is using me here in this church. I, I, I'm, not, I'm blown away by that. Um, but I always have to come back to those words, God is using me. God's using me. This is his work. Calvary Southeast is his work that he invites us into. And what a shame it would be for me to touch his glory. The danger is for pastors, for myself, to believe the good press about us, right? Oh, Ryan is an amazing pastor. Ryan's an amazing communicator. Ryan, blah, blah, blah. You know, Ryan, Ryan, Ryan. Listen, at the end of the day, I don't want to be a great pastor according to any other standards other than God's. I want to be a faithful pastor. I don't want to grow this church in my flesh according to worldly standards. My heart's desire, and, this, and I know our, pastoral, our, our pastors on staff share in this heart that we want to love this church, you guys. We want to care for you. We want to feed you God's word. And if God grows this church, that's his business. That's his business. It's been said, though, that a true minister, given true authority, will use their given authority to build others up in Christ for the sake of Christ and for the kingdom of Christ. And a way that a follower of Jesus handles authority is also a good way to find out how spiritually mature they are or they aren't. I was reading Warren Wearsby this week, and he said this. He said, how a Christian uses authority is an evidence of a spiritual maturity and character. An immature person swells as he uses his authority, but a mature person grows in the use of authority and others grow with him. He goes on to say that the wise mature leader is like the wise parent. They know when to wait in loving patience and when to act with determined power. It takes more power to wait in loving patience than to strike. You see, a mature spiritual leader doesn't demand respect, but they show by how they live their lives ways that they can be respected in. And Paul is saying that mature, that godly spiritual leader uses their authority to build up others and not to tear them down, to encourage others, to strengthen others. But it all comes down to how do we assess things? How do we assess things? Because according to worldly thinking, the worldly thinking of Corinth, Paul was unimpressive in even his appearance. He wasn't a good-looking guy. Early Christian tradition says that Paul was a short, bald man with a huge nose and a bad unibrow. I read that this week on multiple sources. In other words, he wasn't going to be on the cover of any magazine anytime soon. (laughs) According to worldly thinking of Corinth, Paul was unimpressive in his leadership. And we saw last week that he was gentle and meek and humble. He wasn't proud and showy and and cocky. He was unimpressive as a speaker in his speech. And and being a a, a great orator in in Greek culture was huge. He wasn't as charismatic as as the false teachers. He wasn't as entertaining as the false teachers. And so in the eyes of the world, Paul was a nobody. He didn't measure up to their standards. But Paul was aware of his limitations. He was aware of his weaknesses in the eyes of the world. He said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, when I came to you, brethren... I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. 
For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Paul was totally dependent on God's power. He knew that if anything good was ever going to come from his ministry— that had eternal value, it was going to be of God and not of himself. Amen? (laughs) And that's the same truth for you and I. Anything that is going to be good of have any eternal value to it, it is going to be a work that is dependent on the Spirit of God working in and through us. Zechariah 4.6 says, the word of the Lord, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, (laughs) but by My spirit, says the Lord of hosts. A spiritual and mature leader is one who comes to the end of themselves, knows their weakness, and however dependent they are on God's strength. And so church, when you're looking for men and women to pour into your life, to speak into your life, pastors to listen to, podcasts to listen to and to glean from, listen, Charisma is nice, but character is so much more important. Charisma is nice. Charisma is soft on the ears. <laughs> but character and conviction is so much more important. Don't measure yourselves or others by the standards of the word, world, but by the word of God. He goes on in verse 9. He says, for I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. As we saw last week, one of the biggest complaints that the Corinthians had against Paul was that he was bold with his pen, but he was weak in person. He was bold when he wrote his letters, but he was soft when he came to visit them. And they accused him of of being two-faced, if you will. And the reality is, if we're honest, speaking the truth can be hard. I'm someone who, I mean, I hate confrontation. Anyone hate confrontation? Like, I hate confrontation. Speaking the truth can be super difficult for me because I know, oh, it might hurt somebody. But Paul here, he's saying, man, I love them enough to speak the truth in love so that they would repent of their sins. Let's be real, as if you were here, or if you know anything of 1 Corinthians, man, that was a weighty letter, was it not? Paul didn't hold back any punches. I'm sure that other letter that he wrote, that letter of tears, was just as strong, was a hard one to write, but it wasn't meant to just throw weight around. No, no, no. It was written with a broken heart of a pastor who loved this church, and he pleaded with him, repent of your sin and turn back to Jesus. This is not me being two-faced. That's what Paul's saying. Verse 11, let such a person consider this that what we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. So so Paul's saying is, oh, you don't think I'm bold enough to say (laughs) to your face what I wrote to you? Just wait. Like, I'm willing to do that, right? But Paul sought to follow the examples of uh, the example of Jesus, 
If there's ever a person to follow an example, it's, it's of Jesus. And who is Jesus? He was, he was one who was meek. He was gentle. He was humble. He was compassionate. But he was also willing to address the elephant in the room, especially when it came to the religious leaders. He called them whitewashed tombs, right? He was bold when he needed to be bold and compassionate when he needed to be compassionate. Verse 12, he says, for we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend ourselves or themselves, but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. Let me read this verse out of the New Living. It says this, oh, don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are, but they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant. Paul goes on the offensive here, and he's using this amazing tool called sarcasm. oh, I wouldn't dare to put myself in the league with you guys. (laughs) They're way too good for me, right? I would never compare my charisma with theirs, right? I would never compare my stature to their stature. And let's be real, sarcasm, in sarcasm, there's always an element of truth, right? This is why, I don't know if you guys are on Instagram, but the Babylon Bee, you guys know the Babylon Bee? This is what makes the Babylon Bee amazing because there's always an element of truth laced throughout it. But on a serious note, Paul refused to compare himself to other men, especially by the standards of this world. These false teachers had boasted of their own greatness and they saw themselves as great because they measured and compared themselves with themselves, right? By the world's standards. And if we do that, it's easy to compare ourselves, right? It's easy to make ourselves look good because all we have to do is compare ourselves with the right person, right? Because there's always gonna be someone weaker than you. There's always gonna be someone less impressive than you, less talented, not as good looking as you. But is that how we measure ourselves? And Paul is saying, no, that's not how we measure ourselves, not by ourselves or not. By other people. I have a great respect for a pastor. He's on the radio. Uh, he, I think he was president of Dallas Theological Semin- Seminary and uh, pastor of many local churches, I think in California, but also Texas. And his name is Chuck Swindoll. You guys know Chuck Swindoll? I read this from him this week and I, I was really convicted. He says, I have never seen such vicious an ambitious competition in ministry as I see today in North American Christianity. So many pastors, especially younger ones, compete for the limelight, trying to grow bigger, look better, come across as edgier, cooler, more relevant. Ultimately, they won't be able to keep up the charade. It takes an incredible amount of energy to pretend to be something that you are not. People need to be who they are. They need to get out of the way and turn the spotlights back onto Jesus. I would say to any and all in ministry, point your fans in his direction and model authenticity. Even if it means people will no longer embrace you as some sort of semi-divine superstar. After all, you're not. That's a man with a lot of wisdom, 
That's a man with a lot of wisdom. Listen, godly leaders lead in humility by pointing people, not to themselves, not to their ministry, but to Jesus Christ. He is the savior of the church. Verse 13, but we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. David Guzik in his commentary on this passage said this, that the idea of the limits of the sphere comes from the lanes that were allotted for runners in a race. The Corinthians would recognize this because they loved races and held the famous Isthmian games in Corinth. And Paul is saying, I'm running in my own lane and not in someone else's lane. And that is that Paul recognized that God called him to a specific calling. Paul wasn't meant to be an army Swiss knife of pastors, right? But God had called him with a specific calling. And Paul is saying, I'm going to stay in that lane and be obedient to what God has for me. I know where God has called me to be, and I'm content with that. I know what God has called me to be, and I'm going to be faithful in that. That's what Paul's saying here. And in verse 14, he says, For we are not overextending ourselves, as if we did not reach to you, for we were the first to come, even as far as you in the gospel of Christ, not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere, enlarged even more by you. So as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. Again, Paul was confident in this calling on his life. He was aware of the limitations that he had in the ministry. He had gone, as he said, first. He was the first one to go to Corinth. Because why? The Lord sent him there. He preached the gospel. People got saved. He planted, he started this church. This was a work of God. And Paul was confident that as long as people were obedient and faithful to their calling from the Lord, then the Lord would continue to do a fruitful work through them. Paul's saying we stayed in our lane. We didn't minister to where we, we didn't minister to where God didn't send us, right? We didn't cr- take credit for what God didn't do through us, right? We ministered and, uh, to where God had us each and every day. But again, the danger here and the warning here is in overextending ourselves, especially in ministry. And the comparison game is huge. And we have to be very careful in the comparison game. Over the years, for whatever reason or whatever pressure, pastors have left their initial calling of the Lord to simply shepherd the church through care and teaching. And as I said, alluded to earlier, pastors are now turning into or expected to be CEOs, social media personalities, entertaining and engaging speakers, blog writers, book authors, and the list can go on and on. And so again, the comparison game can be huge. Well, this pastor... And is writing best-selling books. Why isn't my pastor doing that? I'll be never. I'll never be writing a book. Just gonna upset that there for you. So we have these faulty measurements. All the while, the Lord's calling on our lives is often much simpler than all of those things. 
Now, just to speak personal for you for, for a moment, I've been the senior pastor of this church for a little over one year. Congratulations, you made it. <laughs> that was the worst, hopefully. <laughs> and in the course of this year, you know, I love our church. In the course of this year, many people have made their suggestions known to me, their encouragements known to me of the type of pastor I should be and, and what the church and the ministry here at Calvary should look like. Many with good hearts have, have asked, Pastor Ryan, when will you start a prophecy update? When will you start a prophecy update? You know, so-and-so pastor does, and, and it's fruitful. You know, Pastor Ryan, aren't, aren't we a Calvary chapel? Like, you know, we should do this and that and, the, and all of these things. And I want to share with you something very important, and this is from my heart, is that I have to be obedient to the calling God has given me. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm not Jack Hibbs. I'm not Brett Metter. I'm not David Jeremiah. I'm not Chuck Smith. And I'm not Doug Snow. And I'm very grateful for all of those men. I think God has given them all a specific calling and purpose and lane to run in. But God has also given me a lane, a specific lane and calling. And my job is to be obedient to it. As for me, though, this has been one of the hardest lessons to learn this year. I want to be, it's always been my heart's desire to be the best pastor that I can for you. And I know the big shoes that I've been stepping in for in the last year, and my natural bent is to be just like the Corinthians, to be externally impressive, <laughs> to not show weakness, <laughs> to hold it all together. And if I can just be honest, I have failed in this many times this year. There's been times when I didn't stay in my lane. There's been times that I personally, as your pastor, have taken on much more than God would ever put on me. And I've overextended myself. You guys know this, but let me just reiterate. At the start of this year, I took three international trips in three months for the church. I came home, I jumped into Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Less than a month later, my dad, who is my best friend, passed away unexpected. And then my wife and I took another international trip down to Mexico to meet with missionaries and to prepare for our youth going down there. The next month, we had summer outreach with Gladstone Festival and Church in the Park. Both were amazing. God worked just amazing in those things. And those were just the things that kept me busy this year for the church. All the while trying to, you know, be preaching and teaching on Sunday and leading our staff, but also just to pair back, you know, kind of peel back the curtain. My wife and I know, and our kids are still going through a legal battle with the state of Oregon for birdie. And again, during all of this, I have not wanted to drop anything around here. I've wanted to press into that external impressiveness. Why? Because I love you guys. I love this church, and you deserve. You For 30 years, we've had an amazing pastor, and for the next 30, I want you guys to have the best pastor. But to be honest, I've been running exhausted. I've been running exhausted. And instead of dealing with grief in my own life, um, especially regarding my dad, I've been suppressing the grief, holding it all together. Oh, Ryan, he's, he looks fine. It looks like it, just the death of his dad just didn't even phase him. 
But I've been sharing with the pastoral staff and our board of directors, and, and they've been amazing. They've been, they're such godly men who care for this church and care for me. They've came to me and said, Ryan, like, we want to come alongside you. We see that you are running at a pace that you cannot keep up. And man, we had, a, we had a board meeting last week. And these guys, I tell you what, I left that board meeting just with a release of the pressure I was putting on myself. These guys are like, Ryan, we just want you to love and teach this church God's word. Like, that's a hard expectation. But they, we also, just with the pastors and the, and the board, I've come to this place where I have not adequately grieved my dad's death. And it's been, and I've been trying to hold it together, but I started grief counseling a couple of weeks ago and just trying to, okay, I don't want to suppress and I, I want to, I want to, I want to um, heal and all of these things. But um, I asked the, the, the board and the pastors, I said, can I take some time off? I haven't used hardly any vacation this year. I've been gone, but I haven't used any vacation. Can I, can I take some time off this October to start the grieving process? I want to be the best husband that I can be to Mary. I want to be the best father I can be to my kids. And I want to be the best pastor I can be. But I know in my limitations, I have to catch my breath so that I can come back and truly focus on what the Lord has called me to do. And that is to simply love you guys the best that I can and to teach you God's word and lead you in the ways of Jesus. Again, I don't want to be a celebrity pastor. I want to be a faithful pastor, faithful pastor who doesn't burn out, but runs out when God calls me home. Last week, we experienced a ton of technology issues, and a women's Bible study, there was no live stream for that either. Like, it's just been a, it's been a crazy kind of tech season. We thank Trevor and the team in the back, and there's no live stream even today. We have a different camera and all of these things, and Last week, I think everyone was expecting me to freak out. I'm like, what are we doing? I'm like, come on. And I'm just like, it doesn't matter. What matters? This. God's word matters. Sharing the word of God. And I want to be faithful to that calling that the Lord has called me to. And at the end of the day, church, that's what I want to boast about. Not in me, but in what God does in and through me, what he's equipped me for. Sound good? I love you guys. Look at verse 17. Paul says, but he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. But if it is not he who commends himself that is approved, no, but he whom the Lord commends. For Paul, there was only one thing to boast about, and it was the Lord. Paul is paraphrasing from Jeremiah here, Jeremiah 9. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Paul could boast, but his boast was in the cross. His boast was in Jesus. It wasn't in himself. It wasn't in his credentials. It was solely based on the work of Jesus in his life. Listen, the power is found in the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us not forget that. That's where the power is. So let him who boasts, he says, boast only in the Lord. In other words, give credit to where credit is due. And all credit goes to the Lord. 
And church, at the end of the day, the only thing that really matters is not what you guys think of each other. It's not what you guys think about me or what I think about you. But if the Lord commends us, we will be blessed. It's what he thinks about us that matters. In closing, you see the Corinthians had been guilty of judging and assessing things in the church the same way that the world did. But my prayer for us is that we wouldn't do the same. They looked at things like the outward appearance. They looked at things like titles and credentials. They looked at an external impressiveness. And for a season, they were led astray. But what God is looking for are hearts and minds that are yielded to his spirit. Because when that happens, church, we can bring glory to the Lord. Thanks for listening. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For service times, location, or even just to learn more about the ministry of Calvary Southeast, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Join us next week as we continue in our study together.